right, praise the Lord. Good morning. I would also like to remind everybody that those events are on the uh, new website. How many have checked out the new website? Anybody? Just me. A few people. All right, there's an events tab on there, and you can see all the announcements, all the times. And um, so I'd encourage you to check that out. That's wellspringcwc.com. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. It says, and listen real carefully to his words. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. And the fellowship, and some of your interpretations will say fellowship or participation or sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just ask, uh, Lord, that you would uh, speak today. Holy Spirit, that you would speak your will in this place and you would speak words that are from the heart of the Father, Lord, that you would take your minister, uh, like you said in your word, and make him like a flame of fire, Lord, that I would be set aside, that my opinions and my thoughts would be set aside, and Lord, you would speak directly uh, to your people, Lord. And uh, that is our prayer this morning, Lord, that it would be your words this morning and you would uh, speak mightily, Lord. And unrestrained, Lord God. And um, Lord, we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Title of my message is, The Power of His Resurrection. Hallelujah. The Power of His Resurrection. Now, this is uh, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, whatever your preference is. And um, over many years of preaching... On this particular day, um, I've had many different avenues to go down to preach about Resurrection Weekend. And Resurrection Weekend is uh, the day that we celebrate is the most important day in the history of the world. How many know that to be true? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central day in the entire history of the world. There's no more important moment than what Jesus did. And um, every year I get to expound on different aspects of what happened that day. And so some of the aspects, and I'm just going to give you a quick overview of some of the things that we normally talk about on that day. One thing that we normally, everybody should talk about and everybody should teach is the who that's involved in that day. The person that is involved and why this person is so important. So in the past, some of my messages on this day and really throughout the year are the fact that it wasn't just a man. Like if you were to be dropped into Jerusalem on that day that he was arrested, that day that he had a... um, You know, I, I could spend a lot of time on the trial that he had. In fact, I've got some books that I read just this weekend. I pull a lot of my old books out 
And I read through a lot of them just trying to figure out what am I going to talk about on Easter? What's the Lord want me to preach? And I've got one book from a very famous trial attorney. And uh, he breaks down the actual court cases. You know, he went, they had three courts. And uh, one was a misdemeanor court, one was a felony court, and one was a capital punishment court. And he breaks down how egregious it was what they did to him. Because they didn't take him to the misdemeanor court. They didn't take him to the felony court. They took him to the capital punishment court, which is unheard of. In fact, every Hebrew uh, medical book, uh, it was against everything they ever taught. In fact, all the rules of that particular court even forbid them to do it overnight. And they did it overnight. And I could sit here, and I have in the past expounded how they were so illegal, not in the only in the Hebrew courts, which were known around the world as the most fair, but also the Roman courts, which were also considered the most fair in the world. And so you could break down the legal arguments for Jesus and the trials that he stood, and you know the ridiculousness and the unfair treatment of the person on that night. And so he went before Caiaphas, for instance. And Caiaphas, um, I'm sorry, Annas was his father. He wasn't even a legal person. He wasn't, he was a retired, what would be equivalent to a retired judge. And they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And how many know they beat him and they beat, beat him anyway? You know, they struck him in that court. Then he went to Caiaphas's court. They also had no witnesses that were credible. He took another beating there. Then he went and took several more beatings, was convicted overnight, and they say it's the most egregious, um, uh, the most egregious court case that's ever been, um, ever been taken out on a person. And so that's one area that in Easter we talk about a lot is that. Another area that I preached on in the past is, the abandonment that he suffered on that day. And how many remember sermons on Easter about the weekend and we sang in that song that he was alone and he was crushed. And and how many know that most everybody abandoned him? And so I had a sermon, I think, last year where I talked about Peter and how Peter was in the courtyard when they were beating him and how Jesus looked across the courtyard And he had prophesied to Peter, yeah, Peter, one day you'll die for me, but when I'm arrested, you're going to deny me three times. And on the third time, um, and he's about to run out of the courtyard, Jesus actually makes eye contact with him. And I preached about that last year. And Peter actually went farther than most of the other disciples. He actually went all the way to the courtyard, all the way to the point that Jesus was taking a beating, but even he denied Jesus three times. And all of his disciples, how many how many have followed the record very closely and recognized that all of his disciples that weekend kind of abandoned him? And not hardly a friend, one of his best friends, um, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, Judas. And so a lot of the messages on Easter are about the abandonment. A lot are about the false mock trials that he endured. A lot of it's about the beatings. Uh, many times I've spent this particular day um, going through the absolute beating that he took. In fact, how many have watched a uh, movie maybe this week on uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and 
what he went through on that day. But the Bible says no man has ever been beaten or marred more than he was. And crucifixion was very unique because they tried to find something that would make the prisoner's pain endure. They tried to find something that they could use to make sure other people didn't commit the same crimes. And so crucifixion was very unique because it had the rare ability to keep a person alive for a while and make them punish, make them suffer for a longer period of time rather than some of the other methods they used before, which killed them too quickly. How many know that about crucifixion? And so a lot of sermons are about what he went through. And another thing that needs to be remembered is this isn't just a man. You know, at Easter we go through, and a lot of my sermons, and a lot of sermons that are preached across the world today, um, are the fact that the reason that they crucified Jesus on Good Friday is because He claimed to be God. In fact, not only did He claim to be God, but He seemed to be have the pedigree to prove that He was God. In fact, everything about his life in very extreme detail, hundreds of prophecies in the Bible preceded him by hundreds of years and thousands of years. And every prophecy in the Bible points to one person being the Messiah who the Bible says he will be God with us. And so as you begin to watch these movies on TV and you see these dramatizations of the crucifixion you begin, it begins to dawn on you that, hey, God was with us on earth, and look what we did to Him. And so I thought about all those different areas about preaching today, and, and, and so many of the things that we preach are very critical because we need to know the history, we need to know the event, we need to know the who, the what, the how, the why that He died. All those things are extremely important, but sometimes we can be so focused on what happened that we don't appropriate it to how we're living today. And so today, I want to go that direction. I want to know, how many are bottom line people? You want to know the bottom line, like, you know what? I understand the details of the resurrection. I understand the details of his life. I understand who that he is. But please tell me, what is the bottom line? What does that mean to me today? And today, that's what this message is about. It's called the power of his resurrection. And the person uh, who wrote this scripture that we're reading today, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship or participation or sharing of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is a man that is saying, I want everything in me. My total ambition in life is to know him and know the power of his resurrection. And Paul wrote this approximately 30 to 35 years, probably 30 years after the death of Christ. And as you begin to look at this, you just start to scratch your head and you say, well, wait a minute. What does Paul mean by know him? Know him. 
and know the power of his resurrection. And we have to understand this. We have to really pray that God will help us understand what Paul is talking about here. Because it's so deep and it's so profound. If you get a hold of this, it will change not only your life. And you say, man, this is a big thing you're saying. It'll change your life and it'll change the world around you. And the reason I say that is because as you begin to look at what the power of his resurrection is, that's what we're supposed to pull out of this event today. Out of the event of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, we need to figure out what is the power of his resurrection. And so as we begin to look, we begin to look at his disciples. Now remember I told you that those disciples abandoned him. How many know that's true? Jesus looked around and the Roman government with a very heavy hand, he was arrested, okay? And just put yourself in their position. Jesus is this messianic leader. Messianic meaning he's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to bring the answer to sin. He's going to bring the answer to death. He's going to be a conqueror on a throne. And these crowds of people that I preached about last week were ready to make him king. Okay? And Jesus, though, the entire time they were trying to make him king, was stressing to them. In fact, they said, don't you remember that he would said he would be turned over to wicked hands, he would be arrested, and he would be killed, and he would be resurrected on the third day. Jesus had already told them what he was going to do. His disciples knew what he was going to do, but in the face, and I want you to imagine the entire world government is the Roman government. Okay, and I want you to picture, because we can sit here today in year 2022 with the Bill of Rights in our back pocket and the Constitution in our head, right? and our protections that we stand on as Americans, and we seem to think to ourselves, well, man, I wouldn't have abandoned him. But these men were pretty incredible followers of Christ. Not only the men, but the women. In fact, I would say the women were more brave than the men because more of the women were at the, the tomb and more of the women were at the cross than the men were. You know, they both were equally brave. We'll see with the men here in a minute. But at the moment, and I don't know why that is, but at the moment, most everybody abandoned him and they were scared of the government. How many can understand that? Just be honest with me. How many can understand, hey, you know what? Maybe he wasn't what he said he was. Maybe he wasn't the son of God. Maybe he wasn't what we thought he was. And I'm trying to protect my family. And so they all just kind of scattered. Right? And today is the day that the women went to the tomb and found what? He's alive. And for 40 days he walked on the earth and was seen by over 500 people. And I have other books at home, in fact this could be my sermon today, where legal attorneys have taken the evidence and they said it's so much evidence uh, to the fact that he was alive and resurrected in the history of man that it's, it's, it's irrefutable. There's no way to refute the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. But here's what I want you to look at today. The power of his resurrection. Because I want to put you back in that position 
that the disciples were in. They scatter. Most of his friends, most of his family were not there. A few of his family was. But they begin to watch him in his resurrected body walking on the earth. And you say, well, what was the power of that resurrection? The power of that resurrection took a group of people that literally were scared to death of the government and it made a group of people that were fearless to anything that was on the face of the earth. You realize those disciples became fearless after the resurrection. In fact, let me read a few things here. Peter. How many remember Peter? I was just talking about him denying Christ three times. Probably went farther than anybody. You know, followed him all the way to the courtyard where they were interrogating him. They were beating him. And Jesus makes eye contact. Peter runs off crying and kind of disappears from the group because he's so ashamed of what he did. He just, he said, I would die for you, Lord, before the, the arrest. And then during the arrest, he loses his courage. Well, Peter ends up going and being arrested and he's fearless in the face of his arrest. And how many know that Peter and his wife, according to history, were martyred for Christ and he said, not only will I die for Christ, but you, I, I won't even be crucified in the same manner. Do it upside down. I mean, no, that's what history says about Peter. The resur- power of the resurrection, something happened to these men that before the resurrection, they were scared to death of the government, but they seen something that changed them. The power of the resurrection. The power of seeing Jesus in his glorified body. Um, let me give you another one. Peter's brother, Andrew. The record, this is Fox's Book of Martyrs. It says he preached the gospel in the Asian nations, but on his arrival at Edessa, he was taken and they crucified Andrew on a cross. Both ends were fixed transversely into the ground. Hence is what we call the St. Andrew cross. Remember, Andrew was one that disappeared on the night of his crucifixion. How many know that? Something happened in the 40 days that Jesus Christ walked around in his resurrected body. Something was so convincing that these men were ready to die because they knew he was the Son of God. Something so amazing happened in that resurrection. Let me give you another one. James, the brother of John. In fact, James is considered the first martyr among the disciples. James, the, the history books, if you read Fox book, in fact, it's in Acts, Acts chapter 12, it says, it was about that time King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That means he had his head cut off. Now, don't you think something profound Happened to James, the brother of John, sons of Zebedee. Remember how fiery they were? Sons of thunder on fire for God. And James allowed himself to be martyred for Christ and he did not run. How many know when you go get a hold of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, you're ready to die for him. You're ready to die because you, they realized he was the son of God. They realized that, do you know that Jesus 
had the power to give his life or to take it back. Jesus said, he said, the son of God, son of man lays down his life for man. He said he can take it back if he wants, but he chooses to lay it down. And Jesus Christ walked in, gave his life, walked on the earth for 40 days. In fact, I can go through each one of these. I can go through Thomas. How many remember doubting Thomas? Have you ever heard that term, doubting Thomas? Well, Thomas was the disciple that when Jesus walked around in his resurrected body, he said, I will not believe it until I can touch him. And Jesus said, well, touch my hands. Feel the holes in my hands. And how many know that Thomas was so convinced that he traveled all the way to India preaching the gospel? Preached all the way to India, and in India, it says that um, Thomas was stabbed with spears by the Syrians and was martyred on July the 3rd of 72 AD. What happened to Doubting Thomas? What happened to a man that doubted so much that he had to actually touch Christ? And Jesus said, blessed is the person who doesn't have to see and still believes. It's the power of the resurrection. Don't you think if you've seen Jesus and you were a witness to the fact that he was actually alive, that you buried him, you've seen the body, you buried him, you put him in a grave, you put the stone on there, and it was so convincing to them that he was dead, and they seen him resurrected, walking on the earth for 40 days. The power of the resurrection is why they were willing to go against all odds and give their life, because they knew when they died, they'd be in the presence of their Lord. And that's resurrection power that will change the world. Hallelujah. Paul, and this one really amazes me, because Paul was this Pharisee and a high-level Pharisee. And if you ever watch portrayals of Paul before he meets Christ, um, Paul's not a very nice person. I mean, I think Paul was probably mean before he met Christ. And if you see the renditions of him, I was watching... Uh, and, and there was a show on TV that was talking about that period of time. They were showing Peter and he looked bloodthirsty. I'm sorry, Paul. And he looked bloodthirsty. He was persecuting Christians. His name was Saul at the time. He went by Paul later. But he's bloodthirsty. He's persecuting all the early Christians. Number one enemy of the church, right? And he has papers from Jerusalem to persecute more Christians. He's the number one persecutor of the Christians who believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was the one probably interviewing Christians who were saying, we've seen him alive, we've seen him alive, we've seen him alive. That's all that he ever heard was, I'm going to kill you. He threatened people and they kept saying, we'll die for him. We've seen him alive. That's the power of the resurrection. And Paul with papers, heading on his way to Damascus, Syria, has a vision of Jesus Christ alive. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And how many know the power of the resurrection is what Paul's talking about 30 years later? 30 years later, he was 
young when he had his vision of the living Jesus Christ saying, why are you persecuting me? And 30 years later, Paul is sitting in a prison saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about a hundreds of people that had been in the city of Jerusalem who refused to even save their own life because they believed so strongly. He was a son of God. They believed so strongly in, in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They believed so strongly that they were going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. They believed so strongly in the government that Jesus was going to put on this earth. They believed so strongly in the world that was to come with Jesus Christ as the ruler of this world that they were willing to die at any moment for him. And Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And it's 30 years later. In fact, as you look at Philippians and you look at what Paul was doing, Paul, you you have to try to figure out which prison Paul's writing from. If you begin to study Paul's life, you try to figure out which books Paul wrote from which prison. And when you get to Philippians, you know he's getting toward the end. And you know that there's a set of prison letters. And you know that the prison letters are probably written either on his first prison term in Rome or his second prison term in Rome. If it's the first prison term in Rome, he's got a little better arrangement. If it's the second prison term in Rome, he's sitting in a prison called the Mamertine prison, which I preached about before. It's the worst prison in the world. It's a sewer underneath the city of Rome. And they put their worst enemies in that prison. And Paul is probably writing this before he goes to Mamertine, probably writes 2 Timothy in that prison. But how many know Paul was in a lot of dingy, dirty prisons? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what would cause a man. That was a high level. Probably his family had plenty of money. What would cause him. To give his life to Jesus Christ. There's only one thing. Power of the resurrection. Paul. Was probably in denial. Now, let me, give you, let me tell you what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Okay? 12 o'clock, he dies at 3 o'clock. 12 o'clock, something happens to the sky that nobody can explain. How many know that it gets completely dark in Jerusalem for three hours? Can you imagine that? You say, well, it was just an eclipse. Has anybody ever seen a full eclipse for three hours? Nobody can explain what happened. In fact, Origen is having a debate with a famous atheist um, around the second century. And he says the reason we know he was God was because of the darkness, the earthquake, and the bodies that came out of the grave and ministered in the city. And they had records at that time showing that that's exactly what happened in the city that day. How many know when Jesus died, it was completely dark. It was so dark that there are other records say they were going around with candles at noon. You didn't see that in your movies, did you? 
noon, it is completely dark, and you can, they said you can see the stars. It was that dark. There was a massive earthquake. Earthquake so big in that region that it split the temple and the curtain in the temple. Can you imagine an earthquake big enough that if I had a curtain across here, it would open the whole floor open and the actual curtain would come open? That's a big earthquake, right? We've, we've had them before. We're like, oh, I'm scared to death. I've seen something rattle on my... I've seen a glass rattle on my shelf. It was a terrible earthquake. Imagine one so bad that it splits the floor and the whole curtain comes open. Okay, I'm still not convinced, Chad. Imagine, imagine graves open and bodies begin to minister in the city. You say, well, it didn't happen. Well, I believe it did. It's what the Gospels say. It was convincing. Paul knew it was convincing. Paul was kicking against, he was, he was rebelling against what he knew was true. And when he seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he, and he tried to arrest and tried to beat all these Christians, they just kept saying, we've seen him alive. We've seen him alive. We've seen him alive. It's true. It's real. He is God. He did come to save us from our sins. And the power of the resurrection convinced Paul that I can give my life to this person. Power of the resurrection. So let me break this down. What does this mean to us today? And Paul makes it really, really, really simple. Number one, he says that I may know him. Now, why would Paul want to know him? In light of the things I've just said, I think that's an easy question. I would want to know him. Would you want to know him? The man does nothing. All of the world is against him to try to convict him in the worst trial in the history of the world. Everybody abandons him. Right? He commits no sin. Dies. God turns the entire lights off in the whole world to show that that was wrong what they did. (laughs) He's resurrected. Bodies are ministering in the streets. Um, The Bible said he literally goes down into hell, pays a ransom. And releases an entire compartment of hell. And now when we die, if we're in Christ, we're in the presence of the Lord. And Paul says a very simple statement that makes total sense to me. I want to know him. Him. I want to know him. Now remember, Paul didn't start serving him until after the resurrection. But Paul says, I want to know him. And so here's Paul, an old man in a terrible, dingy prison. And he's saying, my ambition in life is one thing. I want to know him. And so I've got to ask you a question. You know, we can say, oh man, I love Easter. I love hunting eggs. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with gathering eggs, especially if they have money in them. They have candy in them. I probably would favor the candy over the money, just to be honest. I'll crack them open and I'll steal my kid's candy. You know, I won't. That's not what it's about. It's not about that. It's about knowing Him. And see, this is where religion gets it wrong. See, Paul didn't say, I want to know a religious system. 
Paul didn't say, I want to do religious things. I want to serve religious causes. He said, I want to know him. In church, I don't want religion. I don't want anybody's religion. I don't want to serve anybody's system. I want to serve him. I want to know him. And how many know you can know all about him? And that's the problem in America. We know all about him. We're like encyclopedias. If we don't know it, we Google it. And man, I could tell you details about that guy that would spin your head. In fact, I could come in here on a Sunday morning. I could preach all about him and all about the history and all about the event. And you can quote it verbatim and you can know it and you can add some and you can say, Chad doesn't know that much. I know a lot more. And that's fine. Anybody can say that. Anybody can do that. But my question is, is your ambition in life to know him? I didn't say it is your ambition in life to know about him. Know him. And Paul begins to go deeper into how do I know him as opposed to just knowing about him. Knowing about him, what's that do? A lot of people knew about him. A lot of people know about him. But we want to know him personally, intimately. And then he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. So what's the power of his resurrection? And I think Paul is a great life to look at for the power of his resurrection. I watched uh, whatever movie I was watching, I can't remember what it was called, but they showed how angry and how mean he was as a religious Pharisee, how he persecuted the church, how he did all these terrible things on the church, and then he became a lover of God. And they actually even went on this movie I was watching about how people at first wouldn't receive him because he had persecuted so many. And then he starts quoting love. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is, and I thought, man, it's one of the things that always has amazed me about Paul is he learned about the power of his resurrection. In fact, how many know that Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman government? He came to bring salvation and an end to sin and to save us from sins. And so what is the power of the resurrection? Well, let me have, let me have, let me have you think about something very important. Science, okay? How advanced are we? It would shock you the surgeries that we can do today. How many think you would be shocked if you knew how advanced surgery is right now medically? Is that shocking? I'm the only one. I'm the only simpleton here. Okay. <laughs> it's shocking. It's shocking even compared to 20 years ago how advanced we are medically how advanced we are scientifically. I mean, look at what we're doing, reaching the far reaches of space. How many think that's amazing? The, I mean, the fact that you can even put a person on the moon, and that's a long time ago. Now we're building space stations. Now transhumanism. They're, you know, they're doing all kinds of advanced scientific stuff. But can I tell you something? Addiction is worse now than it's ever been. How is that possible? How is it possible that addiction can't be solved? Just be honest with me. Am I telling the truth? Why is addiction worse and man got smarter? Why are people meaner today than they were 20 years ago and we got smarter? 
Why is anger worse? Why is fornication worse? Why is marriages lasting less? Why are children being abused more? I'm asking questions. So if the smarter we get, we still can't accomplish that, then I think we need to listen to the power of His resurrection because He says the power of His resurrection gives us the power over sin and death. In fact, do you know that death is irreversible? Scientifically, it's irreversible. Once your body stops breathing, once your blood quits flowing, how many know you become you become in a state of deterioration? And it's irreversible. But we're so scientifically advanced, Chad. Jesus gave us the power over sin and over death. When they received the power of the resurrection, guess what they didn't fear anymore? Death. Death, Paul said, is gain. When I'm absent from my body, I'm present with the Lord. In church, there are some people, the only hope they have is what they can get in this world. And God wants to deliver us from that hopelessness. Yes, enjoy the things that God's given us in this world, but our real joy is... I'm going to be in a place very soon where there's no death, no sickness, no sorrow, no hatred, no anger, no addiction. All those things I hate about this world, Jesus Christ purchased with his resurrection a world that's coming very quickly. And guess what? I'm getting older older every day. And you say, that's terrible. No, that's wonderful. I'm ready to be with the Lord. Gary, we were talking about that today. I'm ready to be with the Lord. I'm sad I'm only 50. Amen? I didn't give her many amens on that. <laughs> you probably were thinking, he's only 50? No. But how many know Paul experienced the power of the resurrection? He became a man that could write the love chapter. How does that man write the love chapter? How does he write so many things about being a loving pastor and I mean, just if you want to talk pastoral advice, nobody is better than Paul in the scriptures. Paul is so loving toward people, so loving. And, you know, that's because of the power of the resurrection. It changed Paul. Paul became a totally different person. And, and he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection because he watched Jesus who had all the power in the world. The Bible says he could have taken 12 legions of angels and delivered himself. He didn't have to submit himself to the powers of this world. He didn't have to watch them laugh and mock and beat him mercilessly. He didn't have to. In fact, I was watching that 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 movie yesterday and I could just hear the yells. That movie was every time he they, they put a nail in, it was like, oh, and you could just hear the pain and he didn't have to do that. They stuck the crown of thorns on his head. Have you ever seen the giant thorns? That's what they did. They drove him in his head. and He didn't have to do that. And Paul seen the humility of a person that didn't have to do that, but he loved. And so Paul went to the next line. This is very simple advice from Paul. That I may know him. Number two, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Number three, that I might know the fellowship or participation or sharing of his sufferings. 
You say, man, I would love to be a Christian. Tell me about all the benefits. The benefits are endless. You know, not only do I seek God first and God adds everything to my life to bless me and I live an abundant life in Christ, but I don't have to worry about death anymore and life gets really, life actually begins when I get in the presence of God. In fact, he says, you were made alive. You know that before Christ, I was not alive. Before Christ, I was in a state of dying. I mean, no, we have a life sentence right now. You have a life sentence, I have a life sentence. That means we have uh, one life to live, and when that life is over, your sentence is complete, and either you'll go into everlasting death or everlasting life. But right now we're in a state of dying, but the Bible says through Christ's resurrection, we were made alive. That means I'll never die. That means absent from my body, I'm in the presence of Christ. And my life is just starting to begin. My best days, if I were standing here and I were in my last days suffering with the most terrible disease in the world, I would smile and say, you know what? My best days are ahead of me. And I can say that of a truth. There will be no disease. There will be no sickness. There will be no dying. Church, our future is so bright when we're in Christ. Hallelujah. But Paul says... I want to participate or share in his sufferings. And the Bible says that he was despised. He was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. I want you to imagine how much grief that he took. And Paul says, I want to share. You know, he was slandered. Let me know that. He was called a drunk. He was called illegitimate. He was called demon-possessed. He was called crazy. He was lied about. He lived his whole life being slandered. And Paul says, uh, yeah, I want to share in his suffering. So I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be a participant in his suffering And the reason why is Jesus gave us an example. We'll never bring life to the world that we live in without enduring the pain that comes with it. I can tell you, since I gave my life to Jesus Christ in my early 20s, I can tell you that that is a true statement. Before then, nobody cared about me. Nobody cared to bring false accusations, nobody cared to slander, nobody cared to make me feel like I was all alone in the world. But when you start saying that, hey, I don't just go to church on Sunday, that I'm going to live his life out in my life, and guess what will happen? You will share in his suffering. And how did Jesus endure the suffering? He continued to love people. They beat him and he said, I forgive you. They spat in his face, he said, I forgive you. They beat him to worse than any man had ever beaten him. I always say this and people get upset, but I wouldn't take a dog and do what they did to him. Can you imagine taking a dog and giving him the same beating and nailing him on the tree in your backyard? How cruel is that? But we did that to God. And can I tell you something? When we serve Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, we're going to participate 
and behavior from people who just don't understand it. And God wants us to have the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul enduring suffering and loving people is how he was able to write the love chapter. Paul changed as a man. He started living like Christ. And then the last thing Paul says, he says, um, I want to be made conformable unto his death. Like I want to die like my Savior died. You notice all the disciples died like their Savior died? You say, well, how do I do that? And the Bible says, crucify the flesh daily. You have a choice today. Am I going to selfishly take my life and live it all for myself? Or am I going to give it to Christ and say, live through me? And Paul was saying, I conform my life to die every day like Christ did to love people. And how many know this world, and I told you, if you hear this message today and not just celebrate Easter, but you celebrate what Christ did and you become conformable to his death, what happens when all of our lives become, I want to love people and I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care what anybody says about me. I'm going to love Jesus Christ with all of my heart today, tomorrow, the next day. And I'm going to go through the pain because I want to participate in his pain and I want to be conformable to his death. Stand to your feet. Oh, wow. I'm 11 minutes early. Somebody say praise the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's the most excitement I've seen all day. That's even when the coffee's wearing down. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we just want to be like you, Lord. We just want to be like you, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would be with your people. Encourage them, Lord, with the words of Paul. Encourage them, Lord. Lord, those who have never made that commitment with their life, Lord God, I pray that you would give them the courage to do it, Lord God. They'll never be the same. They'll be like those disciples who are willing to go to the ends of the earth and were willing to die gladly, Lord. They gladly died, Lord. Some preached the gospel for hours as they died, Lord. Let us be like them, Lord God. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Pour out your spirit, the power of your resurrection in our lives, Lord. In your name we pray. Hallelujah. Church, I just want to ask you this morning, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, today's the day. There may not be a tomorrow. And so if you've never done that, you say, well, man, do I have to come in front of everybody to do it? If you want to. But you say, well, man, I'm not ready to do that. Can I see you after church? I'm here for you after church. You say, well, man, I don't know about today. Can I do it tomorrow? I'm available for you tomorrow. How many know that it's time today to get right with the Lord? It's the most important day thing you can ever do. Most important day in history. And we only have so many opportunities to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. And today is that day. I want to encourage you. And if you maybe haven't committed yourself to being conformable you know, to his death, to have the power of his resurrection, the things that Paul's saying, find a place to pray. To say, Lord, today I want to live for you with all of my heart. I'm willing to suffer for you. It's okay. It's fun. Actually, I kind of enjoy it. Because when I'm suffering for Christ, I mean, oh, you know you're right in His will. 
That's the best place to be. Hallelujah, it's the best place to be. So church, I would encourage you to worship this morning. If you need prayer, we're here, no matter what it is. Hallelujah. with this. I was um, talking with somebody the other day. We were reading through the book of James. And uh, James is the little brother of Jesus. I don't know if everybody knows that. The writer of James was his brother. And uh, a couple times in the beginning of that book, he says, uh, my Lord, Jesus Christ. You know how convinced you've got to be to be your little brother and call him your Lord? His other brother, Jude, wrote the book of Jude. And he said that Jesus, my brother, is going to come with his mighty angels in judgment one day. You know how convinced you have to be to say your brother is going to do that? They were so convinced. And his family was hesitant before the resurrection. There's a point where they were hesitant that he was who he said he was. But after the resurrection... There was no doubt. In fact, James, his brother, was preaching on the pinnacle of the temple one day and was pushed off and was beaten with clubs. He died for his brother, whom he called his Lord. Peter, right before his death, 2 Peter 3.18, says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, and Savior Jesus Christ. He's about to be executed in Second Peter. And he's saying the same thing that Paul said. Keep growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowing Him. Hallelujah. Church, we've got to be convinced like the church was in the beginning. And if we're that convinced of the resurrection, we'll live like they did, unafraid of anything. Unafraid to lose anything. I... I decided a long time ago, I don't care what I lose. I don't care how many friends I have. I don't care how much money I have. I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what. And that has not changed. It's been almost 30 years. In fact, we started together, didn't we? Almost 30 years. And I'm not backing away from it. I'm going to do it to the end of my life because of the power of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, Lord. And we're so thankful for all you've done. We bless your name, Lord. We bless you. Lord, help us know you more and more, Lord God, until that day we see you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. We thank you.